Amen. I love being here with you. I am excited that it is Sunday morning again. I appreciate all of your willingness to rise before normal, normal college bedtime and, uh, and be here. Did anybody go to the rain-delayed game last night? A few of you? All right. All right. That's good. Those are the true, the true faithful when you grit it out during a storm. Good job. Good job. SFA was triumphant. You didn't even raise your hand. Did you even go to the game? Oh. <laughs> But you're excited. That's right. That's how I do it. Check the score the next morning. That's good. (laughs) Cool. Hey, we're going to be for the next uh, however long. I don't know. It could take us a full semester. Uh, So, uh, but we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe not a full semester, but it's going to be close. I want to start looking at the book of Acts. Now, all right, some Acts fans in there. Y'all catch me off guard sometimes with your cheering. I don't know. (laughs) Um, so we're going to look at the book of Acts, and here's the deal. We don't want to look at the book of Acts uh, just as we're not going to do a comprehensive study of the book of Acts, is what I'm saying. We're not going to go through every chapter and every verse, because our goal for this study of the book of Acts is really going to be to look at community as it was defined in the book of Acts. You guys have heard us talk a lot. Um, our hope for life groups, you're going you're to find our desire for life groups in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm not going to teach that this morning. We'll get there probably next week. But uh, you're going to hear that over and over and over and over again. Your life group leaders are going to talk about that over and over and over and over again. It's our desire for what community uh, should look like. We believe that what Acts 2, 42 through 47 uh, talks about is, is community uh, by the Holy Spirit, after uh, the resurrection of Jesus, he gives the Holy Spirit, and then this community forms. Now, I'm not saying that that community in the book of Acts was perfect, because it wasn't. Okay? They had issues, they had problems, we see that really throughout the book of Acts. But it was pure in that Jesus was, was just resurrected, the Holy Spirit was just given, and it was this really uh, cool window into the, really the purest form of community uh, in the Holy Spirit. And what that looks like uh, to be in community with one another. So that's what, we're, that's what we're going for, is really to be drawn to those things. You're going to hear that a lot in your life group. So that's why I want to look at the book of Acts. I want to look at really the, the, uh, the early church and understand why its community was shaped the way that it was. So there will be some, um, some historical teaching. I'll give you context. I believe that context is very, very, very important as we study the scriptures. But um, we're not going to do an exhaustive study. We're just going to look at community. You guys okay with that? So that's why I don't know how long it'll take. Uh, it may take a full semester. There's a bunch of chapters in there if you haven't looked. So if I do a chapter a week, it's going to be well over a semester. So that's why I don't know. Go to Luke 24. And here's the bad news. We're not even starting in Acts. So, <laughs> so we, we may, may not even get into Acts this morning. But this is the series that's going to begin on Acts. So I want you to go to Luke 24. We're going to start there. The reason that we're starting there is because Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. Now you know that Luke's a physician, very detail-oriented guy, um, and Acts was written as part two to the gospel of Luke. So if, you ever, um, if you're interested in the, the continuity of things, then it's really good. You can read all of Luke and then just go right into Acts because it's, the, it's, it's Luke's desire to, uh, to connect the dots, okay? So, uh, so Acts is the continuation um, of Luke. Uh, it was, again, it was written by Luke, the physician. It was, uh, it was part two. And the book of Acts covers a period of about 34 years. This is for the detail people. 
uh, if you like the details, then this is for you. So um, it, it covers a period of about 34 years. So, it's, so the, the book of Acts covers a relatively short uh, time frame in terms of, uh, in terms of Scripture. Uh, the main characters in Acts uh, are two, two men, uh, Paul and Peter. They're kind of separated in halves. Um, a lot of the book of Acts, about half the book of Acts, is really emphasizes Peter. The, first, the beginning does, emphasizes Peter. And then the, the last half emphasizes Paul, though Peter is still mentioned. But the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And we will get to see in the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit influences the church, how the Holy Spirit really becomes the lifeblood um, of the church, of the spread of the gospel. And so we're going to learn, when you want to start looking at uh, obedience to the Holy Spirit, what does it look to look like to actually live out your life in, in boldness according to the Holy Spirit? Acts is a wonderful textbook um, for that. And then uh, also what the Holy Spirit will bring this group of believers is community. So uh, the Holy Spirit is the main character. So let's go to Luke 24, and we're going to begin. We're just going to try to get a running start at it. And so we're going to start in Luke 24. We're going to break down Luke 24 because what you're going to see, uh, I think it's, it's really cool, is you're going to see a dramatic shift in the disciples from Luke 24 through to Acts 2. You're going to see a huge shift. So in order to see the before and after, we have to look at the before. And I want you to look at, uh, in Luke 24 to see the before. So what's happened at this point um, is that Jesus has been crucified. Okay? Jesus has been crucified. And at, at this point, uh, he, all, of, all of his disciples, all of his followers, those that, that were really uh, attached to, to Jesus, at this point, they're not sure what's going to happen. Now, you would have thought... As much as Jesus talked about his, uh, his need to die, what he was going to do, the obedience to the Father that this was, as much as he told them about it, you would think that they would have been prepared, and you would think that, uh, that when the moment came, that's going to be tricky to fix. Those legs just went right out from under me. Jason, come fix your stuff here. There we go. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't see this group. You would think they would have been prepared, right? I mean, you read the scriptures and Jesus over and over talks about his need to be glorified. I must die. I must go through this so that you can live in what I've intended for you to live in. In order for all that has been promised to come to fruition, I must be obedient to the Father. I must die. But Jesus dies on the cross and they don't know what to do with it. In large part, what you're going to see here in Luke 24 is they become extremely, extremely fearful. Now, put yourself in their shoes, all right? What you've done is you've just attached your life to this man, to this rabbi that said, follow me, right? You, in the back of your mind, because you, you have a Jewish heritage, you know that a Messiah is coming. You know that there is some form of a promise of rescue. Now, that may be vague to some, and it may be very clear to others, but either way, tradition has said that one is coming who will free and rescue us from oppression. And you look around in your world, and Roman rule is heavy in that time, and so you go, there is no greater form of oppression than now the Messiah must be coming. Then you got this guy, John the Baptist, who's just come on the scene and said, this is Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. This is the one that you you have been waiting for. The anticipation at this point was high, and then Jesus began to live his life out, uh, and incredible things were happening, right? Over and over, God would attest to who Jesus was by miracles, right? People were getting out of the grave. 
Blind eyes were being opened. Sick were being made well. Demons were being cast out. Jesus was speaking truth. Even as a child in the temple, he was confounding those who had spent their entire life studying the Torah. And so at this point, you're thinking, this has got to be him. And then you even take a smaller uh, look. Now you've got these guys that live their lives with him. Not ju- they don't just hear about what he's doing, but they've, they've given their lives to him. He said, my burden is easy, my yoke is light, come follow me. And they've said, yes, we will follow you. They gave up their careers, they gave up their homes, they gave up everything for this one, for this man, this Jesus, and they walked with him for, for three years of ministry on the earth. And they saw extraordinary things, and he taught them unbelievable things. And then the hour came where, the, where they thought Things are going to shift in our culture. Things are going to change. He is about to unleash his kingship. And he was drug away and crucified as a criminal. So they're left going, he said he had to do this. But he's been dead for two days. I don't know if this is going to work. Can you imagine the thoughts? I mean, you, they sold their lives out for this man. Can you imagine? They walked away from their homes. They told their fathers, I will not pursue your trade. I'm going to live with this radical man. And he's been dead. And so far as we can see it, nothing has changed. That was a crazy night when he died, but as far as we can see, nothing has changed. And so this is really the the attitude that is present amongst the disciples. They're kind of, they're they're together, but it's more in consolation. It's not really they're together because they're fired up and ready to go because Jesus is about to be raised from the dead. It's more like maybe we have all been mistaken and there's great fear amongst the group. And you're going to see this. So where we pick up in, in, uh, in Luke 24 is they're all together and these women decide that they're going to go. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it, but they decide that they're going to go and they're going to embalm and help uh, finalize uh, physical preparations for Jesus. So they go to where he is buried, and you know the story. You've certainly probably heard it. I don't know in what form you heard it. If you heard it as a kid, it was probably very... Uh, fluffy, but <laughs> this is actually a really intense moment. They go to the grave to embalm the one that they love, and really it's almost, almost uh, a very defeated moment, right? This is the one that was going to rise again. This is the one that was going to save us, and now we've got to go, and we've got to finalize burial preparations. And so they go to do that, and we know the story. He's not there. He has, in fact, Risen, and they're confronted by uh, this, these a- angelic hosts that speak that very word to them. Angel says, the one you've looked for is not here. He has fulfilled his promise. All has been completed. Jesus has risen from the dead. But there's just a few of them there to hear the word. 
Now think about this, right? They're all, they know that the, the, the rest of the crew is here mourning and sad, and then they go in mourning and in sadness, and this angel says, the one who said he would do what he would do has done what he said he would do. He's alive. Can you imagine the moment where it's like, wait a minute, everything that we thought was bad is now good. Everything that he said is now true, and there's this rejoicing, right? Can you imagine the panic, right? Anybody ever had coffee after you've not had it for a long time and you kind of get shaky, right? <laughs> This is, this is the, the shake, like the panic of, oh my goodness, we really bought into what was actually true. Jesus is not a man that he would lie. He is true. And we have believed him and it was right. And now it's like, and we've got to tell somebody, right? Because we've got these guys hanging out that are afraid and we've got we've to get to them quickly. And so they begin the sprint, I imagine their feet carried them quicker than maybe they've ever gone. And they didn't need CrossFit to do it. They just ran, right? (laughs) Listen to some of the words of the angel. Look at verse 6. He says, he is not here but has risen. And look at this. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And look at, look at the next words. Look at verse 8. Can you just look at the hope that's in these words? And they remembered his words. You see how, like, how vivid that got for them right there? When the angel said, remember. Can you imagine like the, the moments that would flash in their mind of when Jesus actually, with his eyes, looked at them and said, I, I must die, right? I must die that I might be risen, but in my rising, I will glorify God. I will defeat death, right? Can you imagine the, the, the soundtracks that were playing in their mind of Jesus, or sound bites, not soundtracks, that's movies, as Jesus spoke to them, and it was this that brought the sprint. It says, in returning from the tomb. They told all these things to the 11 and to the rest. So it wasn't just uh, the 11 that were left. Remember, Judas is now gone, but, uh, but it, there were others gathered too, and to all the rest. Uh, and so listen to, their, listen to their response. Look at verse 10. Uh, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other uh, women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tail, and they did not believe them. What? Can you imagine the frustration for Mary in that? What, no, wait a minute. No, you're, I'm, this is not a joke. We've just seen an angel, and he said, remember what Jesus said. And we said, yes, we remember what Jesus said, and he wasn't in the tomb. And these other guys are like, come on. Right? And it wasn't sarcastic, man. That come on was full of uh, hopelessness. They thought it was over. And so they couldn't even believe when some of their own group came back and said, we have seen, touched, and tasted the evidence that what Jesus said is true. And all all they could respond is that this was just an idle tale, except one. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Man, Peter makes a lot of mistakes, but I want to love Jesus like Peter loved Jesus. And when Peter heard that maybe he's alive, 
Peter ran, stood up. Now remember, remember how close Peter had become. And remember the moment at the end of Jesus' life where Peter betrays Jesus, right? You remember this? Peter betrays Jesus three times and then meets Jesus' eyes across, uh, across the room where Jesus is being uh, in, really uh, taken in. And the rooster crows and Peter remembers what Jesus said in his denial of him in this great heartache. Jesus restores him. But look at the love of Peter that when he heard that Jesus might be alive, he didn't believe somebody else's words. He got up and he ran to the tomb. This is good for you to understand Peter a little bit because Peter is going to be a highlight for the first several chapters of Acts, and we need to understand who Peter is. So Peter is this really emotional guy, right? He's he's pretty high-strung. He does a lot of pretty extreme things. But Peter loves Jesus passionately. And so he hears the words that maybe Jesus is alive, and it says he got up and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, And he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, I can't... Peter didn't have quite the same reaction that the others did, did he? They saw it and they went to tell somebody. And I I don't know, I don't know, and I could be way wrong in the way that I'm reading this, but it seems like Peter goes with this high anticipation, sees what he thought he might see according to what these women, and he walks away kind of going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He did it. I can't believe it. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever understand Peter. But you can just get this sense for Peter that it, he was just in awe of, but didn't know why. Marveling at what had happened. But you understand here, nowhere in any of this text does it say, and hope rose because they knew what was coming. Right? Jesus told them, I have to go and I'm going to send you this helper and you're going to be my witnesses all over the earth, right? They, they knew what was coming, but none of them in the truth of what had happened said, oh, this must mean what's coming. This is, a, this is kind of a lame group. They just don't get it. How many times times have you maybe heard the excuse or thought to yourself, man, if I'd have just lived with Jesus, this would have been so much easier? Baloney. They all lived with him, and they all missed it. Every one of them missed it. They needed something else. They needed something different than just context with Jesus and his life. Jesus said, Jesus is the one that told them you need something else. They needed something different. So let's move on. There's these other two guys, and they had apparently been at this event. Because they kind of it says in verse 13 um, that two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. You've probably heard of this, this walk to Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they, will talk, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Later, it's going to refer to the conversation that Mary has with them. So these guys had apparently been around when the news was delivered and then had started this journey, okay? And then Jesus comes. He's so tricky. Look at verse 17. Actually, no, go back. Uh, 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Come on, man. 
And they stood still looking sad. You see it. And they stood still what? Looking sad. They're, I mean, they're kicking rocks down the road, right? On the way to Emmaus. Even with the news that he's not in the grave, they don't know, they don't know what to do. And Jesus asked, what is this conversation? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them named uh, Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? So this was a huge deal in Jerusalem. I don't know if you know uh, about that day, but God did some wild stuff on the day that Jesus was crucified. Like in the sky, there, the stars and the moon were doing crazy things. That's a fascinating, uh, fascinating study. The temple veil was torn in two. You think this would have been news amongst the Jewish world? Absolutely. And there's this other thing that randomly slides into Scripture. If you're not reading it closely, you'll, you'll miss it. But apparently, like, dead Old Testament dudes get up and start walking around. Jesus dies and some weird stuff happens, right? I don't know who it was. The Bible doesn't say who it was. But these Old Testament saints get out of the grave and start walking around Jerusalem. And these, so these guys, when he goes, what are you talking about? They go, are you kidding me? <laughs> Have you been around? Because it's been a wild few days, but they're still, they're still sad. And so Jesus says, well, okay, what, what things happen? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, listen to this, but we had hoped, oh, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Like the best day, and they don't even know it. Right? And so what, what, uh, what progresses is Jesus ends up, uh, it says in, uh, let's see, let's find it, in verse 27. I'll start in 25, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus didn't use the New Testament. It's fascinating. Jesus went to the old and said, it's all about me. It's all declaring my coming. It's all about the promise of the one. And so he takes these guys back through. How many times has this been explained to them? How many times has Jesus sat with them and explained it, and yet he does it again and takes them back through? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explains all of it, how it was all about him. And this was actually the greatest days to be alive. And it says they drew near to the village where he was going. They invited him to stay. And he went in to stay with them. And they have this moment where they're breaking bread. And I can't imagine what this would look like. And um, it just, it's, it's cool to me. But it says that at the moment that Jesus broke the bread, that's when their eyes were open and they realized this is him. Now, why is that significant? Because the last time Jesus broke bread with them, he was making a covenant with them to fulfill promise of all that he'd said he would do. And it was like that was the moment that it connected with them. When Jesus again broke bread. 
And as soon as it connected, Jesus, Jesus was gone. And then he appears to his disciples. Let's jump over to verse 36. So they're still trying to figure it out. Those guys on the road to Emmaus, they go back. And this is now the second time that this group has been reported to them that Jesus is alive. He's doing what he said he would do. And it says, uh, 36, as they were talking about these things. So they're still trying to figure it out, right? It says, as they're talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And it freaked them out. That's verse 37. It freaked them out, right? I mean, that's a crazy moment. They're talking about all that's happened. These reports have been coming in. Their fear is kind of turning to uneasiness and maybe a little bit of hope. And then Jesus just shows up. And he starts with peace to you. And he said to them, why are you troubled Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Because they thought they they were hallucinating, right? They said, man, this must be a spirit. This must be, uh, I mean, I don't know what Jesus looked like in that sense, but he, he obviously came in his physical glorified body because he says, touch me because a spirit doesn't have what I have. A spirit doesn't have this flesh. You can't grab the hand with the holes in it. You know, I, so he, he gave them evidence to the fact that this is really me. You're not hallucinating. This isn't a, a spirit. This is a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, my goodness, this is a tough group. While they still disbelieved, for joy, uh, sorry. Uh, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Now, this is how kind he is. They, they are still not able to believe after touching his hands and his feet. How many dudes are walking around with holes in their hands and feet? Right? And they don't believe him. So he says, Okay, let me show you that I'm real. <laughs> Give me something to eat. Watch, it won't be Casper the Friendly Ghost style. It's not going to just fall through me. I'm going to digest it because it is me. I have defeated death. I have risen. This is my glorified body that God has given me in order to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father. I am legit. So they give him a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate it before them. Then he said, so now they get it. All that, now they get it. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's perfectly obedient, and all things have been fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to where? All nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Where were they? Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what does he tell them? Can you imagine the the transfer of power that happens here? 
Like this is the group that he just had to eat a fish for so that they would believe that it's him and he's going to tell this group that it's your job to take it to the nations. Are you kidding me? Jesus, could you not have picked a more qualified bunch? But he opens their mind to the scriptures and you, you just can... We can't fathom it because we didn't grow up memorizing Torah. We didn't grow up uh, knowing the law like they knew the law. But, but in their mind, what happened was that Jesus' claim of being who he said he was connected with everything they knew about all that was written in the Old Testament. Like every detail that had to be fulfilled, every piece that was missing connected when he spoke these words. It's like a lifetime treasure hunt and you find the treasure. This is the one that the scriptures have said and all of a sudden they make this connection and then Jesus says to them, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. He doesn't say by him. That it's going to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You think they're starting to get a little nervous? Wait, beginning where? Where are we? To all nations? beginning in Jerusalem, and then he tells them, you are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you in order to complete the task. Wait until you're clothed with power from on high because you're the ones that are going to spread this message. You're the ones that have seen it, get it, and you're the ones that are going to bring this message of the gospel to all nations. And it's going to start right here in this room in Jerusalem. Well, this is them. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Go to Acts 1. So Luke is going to pick up this story And he's going to say, look, in the first book, what's he referring to? He's referring to the gospel of Luke. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. So he's referring to the conversation we just looked at. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. You see the connection. What were the many proofs? Look at my hands and my feet. He ate fish, right? He proved himself to be who he was appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So, Now that you can kind of see the momentum has shifted a little bit. Now they're kind of back on the same page, but their question is still wrong. Their question is, okay, Jesus, you really are who you said you were. We believe you, and now you're giving power to us, and we're ready for that. They thought they were ready for that. We're ready for that. And so their question is, is it going to be now that you restore the kingdom to Israel? Because what were they waiting for? The kingdom to come. 
They're looking around at massive oppression. Their leader's just been crucified uh, by, by Roman execution. And their question to Jesus is, is this the time where the kingdom will be restored to Israel? Is this the time where we will rise and conquer as the Old Testament has said we will do? Is this what you're going to do? And Jesus' response to them is this, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he doesn't say that was a joke. Don't hear that. He doesn't say, I'm not restoring the kingdom to, uh, to Israel. He doesn't say, I'm not going to come on the earth and rule and reign. He says to them, don't worry about it. The Father has that timing fixed with his own authority. And he says this to them, this is what your focus needs to be. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And and for what purpose? This is huge for us. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So do you see it? Their concern was about a corporate coming of the kingdom of God. And he's not saying that's not going to happen. We know that this is going to happen. This is the promise of God. It will come to fruition. But he says, this season is marked in the heart of the Father. But you are being given the Holy Spirit for what purpose? You guys with me. To be what? Witnesses. You are being given, I'm going to clothe you with power from on high because there is work that I have you to do, and it's called being a witness to all of the nations. He just told them, this is going to begin in Jerusalem and go to all the nations. And you're going to be my witnesses from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. So what is the Holy Spirit for? Why has God given us His Holy Spirit? To be what? Witnesses. When we begin to discuss the Holy Spirit, and we discuss the power and the authority that comes in the Holy Spirit, understand this, that you will not walk in the fullness of power and authority that God intended you to walk in if you're not living according to the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit. If, the end of, if, if you're, if you're not uh, walking with the Spirit in order to be witnesses, you're not going to experience His power. If you're walking in the Spirit in order to glorify you or fill you up or help you out, you're not going to experience His power. If you think the Holy Spirit is some trinket where you could do a few miracles and display power and authority to, to awe people, you will not walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You want the power in the Holy Spirit to attest to who you are in your life, then you've got to be about why God gave it to us. If we're not pressing in to be his witnesses over all the earth, we're not going to experience the power uh, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We will miss it. I think that's largely why in the West we experience very little of the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit because he's become a trinket. He's become a point where we argue. He's not become the power which we depend on in order to bring the gospel to all nations. If he would serve that place in our lives, then I think we would see the miraculous take place. Have you ever seen this in your life? I mean, think about about your life. And think about moments where 
Your dependence on the Holy Spirit has been tied to your desire to bring the kingdom of heaven on the earth, your desire to, to preach the gospel, your desire to be bold, right? All, all these things. You've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in those moments. Anybody ever had a witness to somebody? Anybody ever spoken the gospel to somebody and you've been afraid to death, but you knew the Holy Spirit was saying, this is the moment. And when you open your mouth, words came out that weren't yours. There was boldness that you didn't know where it came from. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was giving you power for witnessing. Right? You want to see the miraculous of God take place around you? Be his witnesses. As long as we think that the Holy Spirit is some trinket for us, some talking point, then we will not see his power. But if you want to walk on that campus and bring the kingdom of heaven on the campus, then you better believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come with you and you're going to see things that you would have never thought possible. People are going to be saved that you would have never thought would be saved. Lives are going to glorify God that you thought would have never been able to glorify God. If we depend upon the Holy Spirit for that purpose. That's why he was given. And as long as we remain idle and on the sidelines, we will not experience his power. We will not dream dreams. We will not have visions. This is a tough, this is a tough point of accountability. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is tough for me too, guys. I, there's times where I go, God, why are you not speaking? Why are you not moving? Why am I not seeing things happen in my life. And I, most of the time I can look back at those points and those are very selfish points in my life. That's where I'm very self-focused, where I'm very self-motivated. And if I, if I would just get it, that I'll be fulfilled as I pour myself out. That's what Jesus modeled. I'll be full as I give everything away. And I'll experience his power as I seek to make Jesus known on the earth. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. I think they needed that. I think we need that. I think they really needed... You know, you heard their question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not at this time that you, that you would need to know that. I've given you power that you might be witnesses over all the earth. And then these angels say to them, but he's coming again. Don't you know that lit a fire? Don't you know that created the expectation again, that we're not just walking aimlessly in this season of the departure of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, but he is coming again. And he will come just like he left, but he will come. And they're in this moment where he's just done what he said he would do. Yeah? Like they've just done the whole unbelief thing and he proved them wrong. And now he says, I'm coming again. These angels say, he's going to come again. And don't you know they went, and he'll do it. So I want to ask us this. Do you believe that he's coming again?
Does your belief of his coming again give you urgency in the season that we're in? Do you know that this season of the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer for the power of witnessing, do you know that it's a season that will end? Does that create urgency in you to go, I'm alive on this special moment on the earth where the power of the Holy Spirit lives in me, the person of God lives in me in order to make his name known over all the earth, but these days won't be long because he's coming again. His coming should always create urgency in the believer. It should always create focus onto our purpose. These are not idle times. This is not, there's no taking a day off. The Spirit is here. He's here for power. He's here for power in witnessing. And this day will end when I get the opportunity to do it. And it may end with my last breath, and it may end with the return of Jesus, but this season will end. And you better believe that with every bit of my breath, I will make known the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why would we waste our days? He has come for this purpose. He is here. The Holy Spirit is here in all of His power, in all of His glory, to lift the name of Jesus over all the earth. And look at me in my eyes. Are you about that purpose? Or are these idle days? Are you kicking rocks down the road to Emmaus? Buying time? Or is there urgency because you know the one who has bought your life will come again? And I don't want to guilt you into witnessing, but I want to light a fire. And I don't mean just going to everybody, you know, I don't mean passing out tracts. I don't mean, I just mean, is your life's purpose and dependency on the Holy Spirit in order to make his name known over all the earth. And sometimes that will take long labor of relationships. Sometimes that will take years of investment in relationships. Sometimes it'll take a moment. But it, it doesn't matter. If that's the purpose of my life, to glorify God in that way, then I'll be patient in the long suffering and I'll rejoice in the moments where it's quick, but my life will be about making his name known and the Holy Spirit will bring the power to do it. I don't have to do it on my own. When I open my mouth, he's got it. Amen? All right, Holy Spirit, give us urgency in these days. I pray that we would not be found kicking rocks down the road to Emmaus in disbelief, but that we might be found operating in the power of your Holy Spirit to make witnesses of you, to be witnesses of you over all the earth. These days are urgent. I pray that you would bring urgency in our hearts. And I pray that we would fully depend on you. We, please, please, God, keep us from believing that in this urgency we're to do some work on our own. But I pray that this urgency would lead to our realization that we cannot witness about you on our own, but that we must depend on you, Holy Spirit. I pray that we would immediately humble ourselves in obedience to the Holy Spirit, knowing that faithful is he who calls us who will also do it. And we depend on you fully for life and for witnessing in Jesus' name. Amen.